Welcome to another message from the teaching team at Elevation Church Australia. For more information about our church, service times and locations, visit elevationchurch.com.au. Let's jump straight now. I'm going to show you a cartoon. Tim McDonald sent me this today. And I think it's just great because it is that post-COVID what church and Sunday school is going to be like. If I can have that up there, it's a picture you will see coming up there. When you haven't been at Sunday school for a while or church in a while, who killed Goliath? <laughs> see here. If you can't see it, the kid says COVID. <laughs> Thank you, Tim, for that. <laughs> I think that's awesome. That's about what we're working with right now. You know, there's something, um, if you're a guy, you would relate to this. When you mow the lawn, don't you want to bring your wife and kids out and show them what you've done? There's something about it. I, you know, uh, ladies, you, it's, I don't think it's the same way when you clean the, if you clean the house. I'm not, I'm not, you know, putting anyone in a box here. I've got to be careful. We need a think tank to help me create culture around this in the right language. <laughs> I don't want to get myself in trouble. Um, but, you know, Kathy never comes up and goes, look what I've done. Look, check the house out. And, I mean, you know, I'm, I, can, I appreciate it because I can tell it's beautifully done anyway. But guys, because we're, we're little kids on the inside, you know, when you renovate, when you paint a wall, it's like, hey, kids, I did that. You know, <laughs> as if you've, you know, you, there should be a national monument in your name. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 58, it's a great verse. He said this, and I think it relates to us. Therefore, my beloved brothers, remember talking to the, 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 the uh, uh, church in Corinth, it's very much like today, very uh, complicated, multiple families, different faiths, all trying to come together to follow this new uh, person, Jesus. And he says, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord, your labor is not in vain. I don't know whether you've ever felt that your labor is in vain. Um, I have. You know, you, you, the, some of the disappointment when you, you maybe not see the fruit of what you thought you would have seen after all these years or, you know, the personal world or your kids or your marriage or your whatever it might be. And I love the way Paul puts it. You just got to know. You got to know that the work you're putting into people, into sharing the gospel is not in vain. And it kind of leads into, I suppose, a little bit or leaps off what we said this morning about sometimes a lot of us are going to plant trees that we may never see the, the, the vast fruit of it, but someone will be sitting under that tree one day. And I want to encourage you tonight, and I feel it's something that I want to lodge in your spirit tonight, that everything we do is not in vain. And sometimes God just lets us get to the end of ourself so that we can rediscover something about ourselves and about Him. And I love it in Romans chapter 12, verse 11, where Paul's exhortation is to never be lacking in zeal, but to keep our spiritual fervor serving the Lord. I love the way Eugene Peterson paraphrases it. He says, don't burn out, keep yourselves fueled and aflame. Great way to put it. You know, when I first joined this movement many, many years ago, there was a, a phrase that we would throw about, and it's mainly in Pentecostal churches, and people would say it so proudly, I'd rather burn out than rust out. I don't know whether you ever remember that, I'd rather burn out than rust out. The problem with that theology is, either way, you're out. <laughs> I don't know whether that's the goal. 
And I don't think God wants us to either burn out or rust out. I think that we want to go the distance. But the truth is, many churches and many pastors and many leaders, our fountains have gone dry. And I think coming out of the last season we have has exposed that. And I don't think it's a negative thing. I think God wants to do something. But rather than being springs of life-giving energy that cause people to grow and to delight in God's Word and His way, we become, or they become, church becomes a source of stress in our life because we don't see what we thought we would have seen. And I want to give a little bit of a, 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 I suppose, view into my world for the first six months of last year. And I've shared this as I traveled around Australia with some of you, not everyone, but I, I hit a bit of a wall in my own emotional life, my own leadership life. And I discovered some things about myself that are good and some things that are not so good. And it set me on a little bit of a journey to, uh, uh, you know, through the grace of God, undo some of the bad patterns and hopefully relay new patterns in my life so I can be a healthier leader and a better father, a better husband. But the truth is some of us as leaders get so addicted to vision that the people and the teams around us feel like equipment. And they feel like they're replaceable. They feel like they're expendable. And when we get to that point, and I was at that point, something, we've missed something in our leadership journey. And we've missed something in our own personal relationship with Christ. And I found myself last year, you know, I hit a wall, riddled with anxiety, irritable. Ask my wife, irritable, uh, frustrated. My grandkids didn't want to be around me, uh, uh, overwhelmed by fear, oozing with doubt and unbelief, stuck with some sort of sadness in my life, looking at my life saying, you know, what has happened to you? And yet it is a message that I'm hearing repeated time and time again, whether it be from pastors or business leaders or teachers. Um, I'm studying a, some degrees at TAFE and the TAFE teachers just had six weeks out because she burnt out and hit a wall and her marriage has fallen apart. I mean, it's just like, like a sea, the sea of humanity has lost its bearing somehow, like a little bit of driftwood floating on the ocean somehow. And yet through it all, God's grace wants to reach us and it did for me. And I want to share tonight just something that really became a revelation for me in my ministry life and in my leadership and as a follower of Jesus. And I want to share to you from the book of Revelation, um, which is quite unusual for a conference, but Revelation chapter 1. And to give a little bit of context, you've got John the Apostle. Uh, uh, he, he, he is the only witness to what Jesus' last words were on the cross. Everyone else had kind of scattered and gone away. He was the last disciple that was there. And we all, most of us know the story, he's, he's exiled on the island of Patmos and Jesus downloads a vision to him about the future of the church and the future of humanity and, and, and how the world is going to track and what's going to uh, happen. He sees the new heavens, the new earth, the new Jerusalem descend from heaven and Jesus is downloading this to John. And in Revelation chapter 1 verse 9, it says this, I, John, am your brother and your partner in suffering in God's kingdom and in the patient endurance to which Jesus calls us. So John is writing to a people who are under great persecution. I mean, this is not being unfriended on Facebook, okay? This is not someone getting offended at church. This was deep persecution. And if you know any of it, that, that Christians were being forced to worship a Roman emperor. And if they didn't, they were just treated with some of the most inhumane treatments and persecutions and tortures. And 
the moment, and there was a, 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 a move right throughout the church where Christians were refusing to yield to, to worship Caesar. And so things like, you know, the, the Roman soldiers would come in and they would tie a horse on each limb of a Christian and whip the horses until the horses bolted and tore the person apart while people cheered and clapped. And, or, or other people, they would, they would uh, bathe them in oil and impale them on stakes outside cities, light them on fire so the Romans could walk by street night as Christians are burning on the way into their cities. For others, they, the holes were drilled in their heads and molten lead was poured into their head and they would not deny Christ. And the easy ones got thrown to the lions. That was the easy way out. And when you understand that John is having a download from heaven, speaking into a people who have been through a lot of testing and a lot of trial. And it kind of, for me, relates a little bit to where we're at right now. There's no molten lead. But in the same way, we're facing a changing world, we're facing a changing culture, we're facing a church world that is different. In 15 months, it has changed. People have shifted. Things have altered. Things are not the same. I am not the same person I was 15 or 18 months ago. Things have happened in my life. And John is writing to encourage them. And you've got to ask yourself, what did John, what did Jesus tell John that was so important that he get to the early church that I think we need to remind ourselves today. You know, early church father Tertullian said this, that the blood of the martyrs is seed for the church. So the more they killed Christians, the more they uh, opposed Christianity, the more the church exploded. So there's something that I think Jesus wants us to grab a hold of tonight. Because, you know, we may have thought the last 15 months is tough. I think, you know, our future is going to be tough. And I don't mean that as an oh, well is us. I think we've got some battles. We've got some wrestles. There's some cultural shifts that are happening. But as the church, John knew what it was like. Jesus knew what it was like. He's saying, come on, this is what I want you to remember. Wow. You know, my, my part of my journey last year was, as you do when you're having a bit of a breakdown, you go out and buy a horse. And so I thought, great idea. Never ridden one in my life. I'm going to buy a horse. Where do you buy a horse? Gumtree. Gumtree. That looks like a good horse. I know nothing about horses, have friends who do, but I buy a horse. That horse has taught me a lot. One of the things I discover about me, and I'm a lousy cowboy. I wish I was a good cowboy, but I'm not a good cowboy. I'll dress like a cowboy, but I cannot ride like a cowboy. It's really frustrating. I've had a year of lessons and still cannot trot a horse. And I'm on my horse trying to trot, and because he's gracious, he looks up at me with his ears slightly back going, bro, you cannot get in rhythm. You just cannot dance. You cannot dance. Give up on this thing. But... I have a bad habit where I always look down at the horse and the range trying to make sure where's he going, you know, what's he doing, what's his ears doing, you know, what sort of moods he in, and, and, but everything's down. And I have a coach, he says to me, Ross, ears up, ears up, ears up, ears up. Because wherever you're looking, that's where your horse is going to go. What is John, via a download from Jesus, saying to the early church? Come on, ears up, ears up. Ears up. If you only look down at where we are right now, if you only look down at who's not in your church, if you only look down at some of the opposition, some of the things that have changed, all you're going to do is get frustrated because nothing is happening. Ears up. You've got to look up. John is telling the early church, guys, things are tough right now. The world is shaking right now, but ears up because Jesus hasn't forgotten you, that there is a plan here that maybe you haven't seen yet. 
And in Revelation 21, verse 5 to 6, there is just two words that I want to unpack in the few moments that we've got left. And then let's see what God wants to do tonight. Verse 5, and the one sitting on the throne said, I am making everything new. And then he said to me, write this down for what I tell you is trustworthy and true. And he also said, it is finished. I want you to hear this. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Jesus' encouragement to the early church who was going through it is, I want you to remember something, that I started this thing and I'm going to finish this thing. And in between the two points is Jesus. You know, most of us would know this, but the Alpha and the Omega, I've got a slide here for it, is the first and the last letter in the Greek alphabet. And so Jesus bookends history with, I was at the start, and I'm going to be there at the finish. And so tonight, let me give you two questions that I want you to kind of search your heart, your emotions, your life, your, your sense of purpose and identity tonight around these two things. Number one is this, what is your alpha point? What's your alpha point? Do you still believe that God called you into this? Do you still believe that I am not an accident? Do you still believe, even though you may have been conceived in the backseat of a car, your mother may not have wanted you, your parents may have divorced when you were young, and a lot of life has been unhealthy towards you and unfair towards you, but do you still believe that God, although I may not have been planned, I was planned in your eye, that I, I was shaped by your masterful hand, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made? I am not an accident. Do you still believe that Jesus is your beginning? Do you still believe when it comes to the call of God around our life? For you personally, as a leader, whether whatever scope you lead in, do you still have a sense in your heart that God, you called me? Because let me tell you, it's one of the areas in my life last year that came under the greatest attack. We're starting to question, do I still have what it takes? Is God's hand still upon me? Because I had lost sense and I'd lost sight of the fact that at 20 or 19 years of age, Jesus called me into this life of serving Him in the capacity that I'm in right now. Jesus started this thing. I was a boilermaker from Townsville. Can anything good come from Townsville? Darren Nosworthy's moment of glory right there, Darren. Wake him up, Janine. Give him a shake. But I still remember, and I got to reflect again as I start to ponder on it. I still remember those words where I sensed God starting to lead me in a certain direction and started to, you know, I was in Townsville and felt Kathy and I were, were, were getting married and then we wanted to move to Brisbane and working in a supermarket at four in the morning, wax on, wax off. I was the best fruit and veggie floor cleaner that Woolworths had. But doing that, getting home at eight, showering, going into the youth department of the old Brisbane COC to work voluntary in the youth department. I still remember the call when I got when when uh, the pastor at that time uh, uh, via you know old school phone called me and said, "Hey, come in. I want to see you." And offered us a job. I still remember those moments. But it's so easy over years. 
years of some disappointments, some unmet expectations, a little bit of argy-bargy here and there, a little bit of conflict. And suddenly we find ourselves, and I found myself last year, in a place where I started to question, do I still feel called? Do I still sense this? Because God, I don't want to do this if I'm not called. I can think of nothing worse than pastoring a church without the call of God. But if I am called, if you were the beginning of this, if you were the one that first started this process in my life, then I don't want to miss it. I don't want to lose it. I don't want to allow a season in my life to nullify and to quieten the whisper of God in my life because the voice you believe will determine your future. So let me ask you, do you still believe you're called? Is Jesus still the beginning? 1986, standing in the Brisbane Centre, Sunday night worship, never been to a large Pentecostal church like that in my life. And, and I was a Uniting Church boy. I'm sitting there going, what a bunch of nutters in this place. And, and I think the strangest, I still remember her name, the strangest woman in that church sat behind me and greeted me the first night. And I'm thinking, wow, this is, this is bizarre. In worship, but in my heart, didn't know what the voice of God was, but heard it and felt it so clearly, you'll find your destiny in this place. I think 35 years later, do I still feel that? Do I still hear God saying, because you know what happens, and it happened to me, when you stop sensing a call, you become driven. And what we've seen over this last season is driven leaders exploding, imploding. Because when we are driven, there is an unhealthiness. Gordon MacDonald, writer of Ordering Your Private World, says this, For an inner life fraught with unresolved drives will not be able to hear clearly the voice of Jesus when he calls. The noise and pain of stress will be too great. Driven people rarely think that they've accomplished enough. They seize every available minute to attend to more meetings, to study more material, to initiate more projects. They operate on the precept that a reputation for busyness is a sign of success and personal importance. And that was me. No one's fault but my own. So let me ask you tonight, is Jesus still your beginning? Is there still that innocence around, God, you called me into this. What a joy it is. And sure, there's some tough times and there's some ups and downs, but through it all, to sense that purpose in your life that I was born for such a time as this. Second question, what's your omega points? Either Jesus is the end or Jesus is the means to the end. And sometimes there's a subtle difference that we miss it. You know, we, we talk to people all in our churches that say things like, you know, oh man, I've just got to get my, my life right again. I need to get back to Jesus. Well, that's a wonderful thing, but getting your life right is not the end point. Jesus is the end. And the byproduct of that is you'll get your life right. Business people that say, you know what, I, I, I want to sow financially because I'm going to reap. Well, that's wonderful, but reaping, blessing is not the end point. And if it is, we set ourselves up for disappointment. Jesus is the end point. And I found in my life last year that my Amiga points had, were, were wrong. 
where I was starting to look at things that weren't Jesus as my end point and starting to base my value, base my sense of success and identity around things that Jesus never wanted me to base it around. Reading scripture can become a means to the end, which is Jesus, or for a lot of us, reading scripture simply becomes a means to the end, which is sermon preparation. But the reason that we read scripture isn't to get another thought for another sermon. It's so scripture reads us and, and we're transformed leaders that come in to help transform our communities. Staying married, otherwise I'm going to lose my job. Well, that's not the old concept. We're actually being in marriage is the crucible that makes us more like Jesus. It's the place where God perfects us through a relationship like that. Sunday attendance is good. Man, we're good. We're on, you know, you rocked up. If, you, if Sunday was great, you've come in here, chest puffed out, head held high, you're great. Money was good, yeah, high five, things are looking great. All, everyone's in unity. Kumbaya on a Sunday morning's fantastic. Bonfire, marshmallows. But it doesn't take much to go wrong in our world to show us really what our omega points are. And suddenly... Things turn a little bit sour and the anxiety, the worry, the fear begins to come back into our life again. What's that tell us? We've lost sight of our omega point. That Jesus was always the end. He's always been our goal in this. Why do we come to worship together? It isn't so we just pick up a new song or it's Jesus. To come to gather together, the whole goal is Jesus. The reason why we plant churches and ordain these incredible people tonight is Jesus and when we lose sight of that let me tell you and scripture's full of people that lost sight of it Peter I'll never leave you Jesus and within one chapter get behind me Satan he went from I'll never leave you to I don't don't even know who you are if you've ever shaken your fist at God and said, I've worked so hard. I've tried to do everything right. People are leaving, but what's going on in the church? My family's a mess. Chances are they've been our omega points. And when that call of God's in our life, and when there's that sense of God, I'm called to this. I don't have to drive it. I'm called into this. And you know, it's interesting because I discovered as I age, and age very well, I must say. <laughs> that the call, the call that I heard when I was 19 or 20, it's not the same call that I'm hearing now. You know, the call when I was 19 or 20 was, man, I, I, I want to be someone. I, I, I want to make an impact. I, I want to make a splash. I want to be in every green room there is possible. I, I want to touch the hem of every guest speaker. Uh, I want to drive them around. I, that, that was my driver. Nothing wrong with it, by the way, I don't think. But it's amazing if we stay still with that initial call, which is why sometimes as we age, we struggle because we still want to be the person. We still want to be up on the latest technology. We want to be the one that has the best preach. But the call changes. And over the years, we go from trying to be a hero to becoming a hero maker. We go from being a people who want the platform to people who are releasing the platform. 
We move from the preacher and we become a pastor. We become a mom and a dad. We move from, instead of trying to fill a room, we start making room. Instead of invites, we go to impartation. Instead of having to have authority, we like giving away responsibility. And tonight, I really, in this place, wanted to put a challenge out to us. Do you still have a sense that Jesus called me into this? That He's my beginning? And do I still feel certain that my end point is Jesus? And where have I maybe taken my eyes off that and got it on something that isn't that?